Welcome to the Real People, Real Business Show, where we are talking with business owners who are in the trenches, everyday people who are working hard and have relevant and inspiring stories that you can relate to. Everyone we speak to is actively building and growing their business and is here to share their experiences, lessons, wisdom, and guidance so you can be inspired to take action towards your own goals. Today, I am so excited to welcome one of my best friends, Natalie Taylor, and we were just talking about how it's taken four years for her to finally get on my podcast. Natalie's a launch copywriter and messaging specialist through her business, The Missing Inc., that works with business owners to help communicate the value of their work. She custom engineers launch copy that helps you sell and sound human at the same time. Welcome to the show, Natalie, and thanks so much for taking the time to share your story today. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so excited to be here, finally. I had to repeat the the intro there because I kept reading a massaging expert and I was like, that's not what Natalie does. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's that's what I moonlight as a messaging expert by day and a massaging expert by night. <laughs> okay. So let's let's dive in. I want you to tell me everything, how you got to where we are today. Tell me your story. Wow, my story. Okay. Um, well, I've been running my business full time as a launch copywriter for almost four years now. I got started back in 2016, really by accident. Um, I had never really been introduced to the world of entrepreneurship. It was very normal in my world for people to just get jobs or go to uni here in Australia and then go get a job. I didn't really know anybody who was a business owner. And so I went to uni and I studied health sciences and psychology. And after a few years of studying that, I went and became a rehabilitation counsellor which is not drug and alcohol rehabilitation counselling. Rehab counselling is about helping people who've had an injury or illness or big health event um, get back into work and life in the community. And I realised within a few months of doing that that it was not the job for me for a variety of reasons. I I don't think I could have handled working alongside insurers and their evil ways (laughs) for the rest of my life. But I, through that, I had the chance to work for some really amazing small businesses. And I had had a mentor throughout my studies and my early career who um, really took me under her wing. And I had the chance to work for her as, as her practice manager, doing a variety of things from, from admin to operations to her marketing. And I found that I really took to that. And, um, you know, I was listening to an interview that you did previously with Sam Pollack the amazing email copywriter. And um, Sam had said that she just was the person who who wrote stuff in her job, kind of fell into that role. And something really similar happened to me. I've always just taken to communication, no matter what job I was in. And so in this job, I found that, you know, I was doing this thing called copywriting and that, and that I loved it. And I love learning more about it. And, And over the 18 months or so that I spent with that employer, I really began to dig in and learn what it was until one day I said, I think I could freelance doing this. And things um, took off relatively quickly from there. And within, you know, nine or 12 months of really beginning to take that seriously, I I was able to say that I was ready to leave, which at at the time, I, I still can't believe that I actually had the guts to do that and go out on my own. And so that's how we got where we are now. No, it's not. There's like a hundred different <laughs> things. Now you've just started. Now you've just gotten to the place that get where it gets really interesting. So mm-hmm. you out on your own and you you launched your business as a freelance copywriter. And then what happened? Then I thought I'm screwed. <laughs> I um I I remember how much fear I had when I was getting started, and this huge feeling that. I could not figure out what to do unless I had some other person who was smarter than me telling me the right way to do things. And and that was really the catalyst for probably three or four years of investing in in a huge amount of coaching and online courses and listening to a lot of other people's opinions, some of which were great and which uh, brought me down the path of meeting you, which is one of the relationships I cherish more than anything. And one of the relationships that helped me actually learn to trust myself But that first year of my business was really marked by me feeling like I just need to prove that I haven't made a huge mistake and I need to get this right and I'm going to pay a lot of other people (laughs) to help me feel like I know what I'm doing in this whole business thing. 
Um, so I, I'd say that's how I would describe my first year. In terms of how I got clients, I, I can trace it back to just a handful of key relationships, just little conversations that I had with someone who I wanted to connect with or someone who was another copywriter or someone who worked in design or business coaching. Um, and, and that gave me an incredible amount of momentum. And I can still trace back a, a lot of my existing clients to probably five or six key conversations that I had back when I was starting my business. Yeah, that's super interesting, right? Because we get caught up in these, these, I'm just in this transition of getting out of all of the should do's and starting to really, really pare down what I'm spending my time on. And this, like you're living proof of the fact that a handful of good relationships can completely fuel your business. Yeah, absolutely. It takes such a long time and I'm still figuring it out to divorce yourself from all the things that you feel like you should be doing, especially in a space like we're in where everybody has a system and they have rockstar testimonials and they have a new way of doing things. And it's so easy to just have this long list of things that you feel like you need to be doing in your business to take it further. And then feeling like crap because you can't um, either because you have a real life or you have clients and projects that you need to fulfill on. And I think it's really only even in the past year that I've begun to realize that focusing on that, on delivering for the people that you serve and making that a great experience is, is the best marketing that you could do. And uh, behind the scenes, like you, Steph, have had so many conversations with me about why is this on your to-do list? You don't need to have an Instagram strategy. Stop it. <laughs> like the anti-marketing, the, the, the ghost of anti-marketing past. Oh yeah. I, I was picturing you in like a Lycra superhero onesie with a, with a cape and you just slap people when they're thinking of doing something stupid in their business. <laughs> I was actually imagining more like the Grim Reaper, but I like the superhero better. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yours is much more metal. Mine is um, <laughs> a lot dorkier. I told you a lot about my personality. So, okay. So, so you started out writing copy. Yeah your business progressed to where you are now, which I know you'll never believe me, but you are probably one of the most talented and successful copywriters I know. So tell me a little bit about that journey because you've got such amazing things to talk about that other people can learn from. Mm -hmm. Make you say them all in this interview. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, well, you guide me with where you'd like me to go on it. Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that I got booked up very quickly, mostly through word of mouth and mostly through repeat clients and referrals. So I don't have huge visibility and not that many people really know who I am because I've never had to do that much marketing. And the, the part of me that is a very big introvert loves that. <laughs> It also gives me lots of space and time to actually focus on working for my clients. But I have a feeling that you had other questions or things that you wanted me to share. Okay, let me let me let me, let me guide you through this. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Tell me more about who you're working with. Okay. Well, when I got started, I was mostly working on website copy. And I would do things like newsletters, but I was mostly creating website uh, packages for people. And at the same time in the first year, I began to get my first taste of what it was like to work on a launch. And that was in, gosh, 2016 or 2017. I, I can't remember when the first one that I worked on was. Um, like a proper launch where there was, where there was you know, countdown timers and Facebook ads and not that you need to have that to have a proper launch, but I kind of mean like your, your stereotypical launch where there's a hard open and closed date. And um, I realized that I really loved that. I love being able to sink my teeth into a promotion and think about from beginning to end, how do you message something that is going to help people? I, I found that much more exciting than doing the kind of branding overall business positioning work of working on a website. And then it took me probably about two years to say that I wanted to specialize in doing launch copywriting. And I remember when I began working with you, Steph, which I think was in 2018, at the time I still, I think it was 2018. I think it was. It was forever. Um, it was forever. It's all a blur. Um, at the time I was working on a mix of website copy and launch copy. 
And I've, I've always worked for online business owners, either online service providers and consultants or people who have a digital product or course. That's always been my niche, but the kind of copy has changed. But once I realized what I loved, it, it took me quite a while to realize that it was okay for me to specialize in that. And that not only that my business wouldn't shrink, but it would actually continue to thrive. And that I would get really good at doing one thing really well, which has made my life a lot easier, not having to create processes around a whole, the process for web copy is so different to launch copy. And now I've really nailed it down for the latter. So that's a little bit about the specialization journey, which, you know, from the moment you realize it until you execute it, it took me a long time to get the guts to say that that's what I specialized in. What's really interesting to me is that we've spent a lot of time digging into and talking about how you want to work and what's important to you in the way that you work and crafting that. And to me, like one of the, the really big things for you is that you don't want that sort of high pressure environment, which is so funny to me because launches and and launch copy and you're so far beyond just copywriting but all the launch strategies and all the launch stuff is is intense right it's like a you know it's not a minor you know it's not a minor thing but you were drawn to that yeah I think there's a difference between having a high pressure thinking and creativity environment versus a high pressure environment in terms of the results and the effort that you put into actually getting something out there. So when I work with my clients, I want everything that I do for them to feel bespoke. And so I'm not going to just plug things into an eight section sales page template for them. And I want to come up with a creative concept for their launch. I want it to feel visually different and like an experience. And I want the message to match that as well. I can't do that many people at once. I, I, I really can't work with more than two clients at once and feel like I'm doing a good job or that I have room to breathe, that I room to have, that I have room to think in the way that I need to. I'm also not fast. I can't bang out a sales page in a day or even two days. I need lots of time to incubate on it. So I, yeah, I kind of need to be like a delicate little baby who has lots of room and, and, and lots of treats on my desk and time to get up and walk and not too many calls or, or people in my space or in my inbox. It's like, leave me alone. I'm thinking. <laughs> and I had, I had stories for so long that I could not make the money I wanted to make if I worked in a spacious way. Um, or if I only worked with one big launch client at once you know, two at the most, I, I felt that it was just not possible. And by the way, it is because I'm doing it now. But there's so much messaging around right now about the ideal way to work with clients. And if you follow anything that Maggie at Small Business Boss does and that you speak about too, Steph, you know, people just crap on the service provider model. When it's, it's actually, if you're inclined to that, it's brilliant. It's a wonderful way to run your business and it, it doesn't have to suck and you don't need to buy into the idea that it can only be good if you do day rates or VIP days or only if you do coaching. It can actually be amazing if you figure out how you'd like to work and the boundaries you need to make that happen. Maggie's going to be on the podcast soon as well. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, I totally agree with you. And I think it took, let's, let's dig in a little bit, if you don't mind, around why it took so long to get there other people's opinions and just seeing what other people were doing where I thought oh that's a ceiling that I can't break so I would see other people who were marketing themselves and they were charging uh two or three grand for a sales page which by the way when I got started even sounded unfathomable to be I was like oh I could charge that much and and now I'm like I'm not going to get out of bed for a sales page unless it's eighty five hundred dollars because because I know what people are going to get and I know how hard I work at that but at the time, I saw what other people were doing. I even had a conversation with a very influential funnel person in the space about joining their mastermind. And I had told them my pricing and they had said, yeah, you're really at the limit at what you could charge. In this space, people aren't going to pay more than that. And by the way, they do. They absolutely do. Um, if you're good and you're worth it. 
and and it makes sense for their business. But I I just I I was afraid to test that I could charge more and it really took me a few years of doing this to just kind of have that moment where I was like I am working so hard. I I legitimately I leave everything on the field for my clients. I give them everything I've got. And then they're out there on their launches rocking it and making hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars on their launches. Not always. I mean, sometimes for clients, the growth is more incremental. I don't want to paint this picture that everyone's a magical unicorn, but I finally began to see the value of my work. And it reached that breaking point where I I was like, it's not sustainable for me to work this hard and to be, to to have ideas like this for people that I know that they're excited about and, and, and to not get paid in a way that was commensurate with that. But it really took time. And it took you finally seeing how much time it was taking and being honest with yourself around Mm. the work that you were putting into these projects. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, what's so funny. I can't believe I went as long as I did without properly tracking my time on projects. It's, it leaves me a little bit speechless because I don't know how I scoped anything before it. It was just, it was just this gut feeling of what I thought it would take. So I think the first step was saying that I was going to specialize in this, which creates room for you to do something over and over again, which first of all helps you get good at it, more efficient at it, but it also helps you see the reality of this is what something really takes me. And then at the same time, began tracking my time and really breaking down what was involved in a project. And I would estimate my time versus seeing how long things really took. And there was a big difference. And so it's really hard to argue with, with data when you see like, wow, um, look at how many hours I'm spending on this one deliverable for this client. Look at what I'm pouring into this. Look at realistically how much time I have in my calendar outside of that to run my business, to live my life. Um, gathering that data was really key for me. And I think it's like, I hear it from so many creative professionals who constantly say, I'm slow, or it takes me along. Like the people that I know who are really good at what they do, you know, they feel bad about it. They're like, what's wrong with me? I'm so slow, or it takes me a long time. And I can't fragment my attention, just like you. Mm -hmm. And so what do you say to those people? I think that there's room for all of us to work in the way that we like. And the, the problem with the way that the, the online business space works right now, and I, I also think this is true of really any industry, a lot of the people who are the most visible are the ones who are those quick start types of people who are very quick to take an idea and execute it. Uh, they're the fast movers, right? So it's like, you would hate working the way I do, Stephanie. You'd be bored, you'd, you'd fall asleep, but I, I couldn't work the way you do and that's okay. So what I'm trying to get at is, I, I don't know if others experience this, but I would see people who were more visible than me. And I think it was often by virtue of the fact that they found it easier to get out there because they didn't think about things as intensely. They, they were quick executors, they would put stuff out there. And I would think that's just how I have to be because there weren't really that many models of people who were working in the way I did and succeeding. And that's because they're behind the scenes too. (laughs) It's just another way of growing your business and of working. And just because it's the most visible, it doesn't mean it's the only viable kind. Totally. And you know what? We need all the different types. Like I could, I'm sure I like to get things out of there. I'm an innovator. I'm a quick mover, but I could never write something to the quality with the thoughtfulness that you do because I don't, I can't like, I, I don't work that way. I can't, I can't work that way. And so there's something about us giving creative professionals the time and the space and recognizing that there's a process and there's a creative process. So we can't keep fitting creative professionals into these boxes. Now, the flip side of that is projects have timelines and deadlines and deliverables. So how did you figure out how, like when I first started working with you, you were, you know, you wanted to suck your thumb in a corner because there was like a, 
you know, there was like a, a like so much work. Mm. Yeah. I think we did my first zoom call with you, with me fetal under my desk. <laughs> I was like, help me Stephanie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's never one thing. I, I think it, it's really this amalgamation of, you know, slowly figuring out a lot of things. So for me, it was understanding my process and the space that I needed and the, and, and the way that I needed to work at the same time, the prices that made sense for my work and how to increase those in a way that I still felt really good about at the same time, learning how to track my work and understanding my rhythms, which you can only get to through trial and error. But when I used to plan projects, the less experienced version of me would think it was okay that I could work on two different kinds of things in the same day. And now I can't, I need to think about one person for a day. (laughs) And then I might do some other things in my business, but I, I can't splice up projects onto the same day I I can't mentally change gears like that and for other people they're going to have their own idiosyncrasies too and you only get there through trial and error and it's still a process of trial and error for me I'm not sitting here having perfectly figured it out but now I know the space I need and now I know the things to look out for and I will continue to learn that about myself and you made some decisions that you were going to think about things in different ways as well right it's hard for me to not just tell your story (laughs) because I've been so intimately involved in it but I think some of the really like remarkable like it's remark it is it's remarkable to me to sit here what four years later and listen to your words and the way that you talk and the resolutions you've come to and the well the resolve that you have and this, like this sense of self-worth. And I think that there were a lot of like mental roadblocks that, that you overcame to kind of get there. And it was like one at a time. And there was this really strong pull towards, I should be doing these things. I should be this person out here. And this is kind of what the show is all about is that you don't have to, you, you don't have to be that person out there that's why Maggie and I are gonna have such a great talk but you don't have to be that person out there you get to be just you but there were some there were some pretty big milestones for you from a mindset perspective right yeah the funny thing is I when I got some of the questions that or, or topics that we might speak about on this podcast I was thinking about the pivotal moments for me or when things really changed and I can't say that there were ever really, you know, really big choices that I made that I can say on this day, things changed, but it was just a slow pushing of my boundaries and what I thought my limits were. Um, Or I I guess more specifically my constraints in terms of what I could charge or how I could work or um, what I could offer to people, just that slow pushing of it until one day I looked around and I was like, wow, I've, I've actually got the client mix and, and I've got the schedule And I've got the way of working and and the pricing that I was hoping to create. And of course, by the time you reach that point, you have new goals and you have new problems that you want to fix. It's, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up here with the sun shining down on me and everything's perfect all the time. There's, there's always new things you bump up against, but it's, it's incredible to look back and realize that you can't game or shortcut your way to having the wherewithal to make those decisions. For me, it came from, well, a lot of conversations with people I trust, um, i.e. you, <laughs> and slowly seeing in the real world what happened when I worked with people, the feedback that I would get, the results that they would achieve, what my contribution to that was, the fact that they would come back to me and refer to me, I needed to build up that cache of success. And so and it's really only in the past year to 18 months that I've it's, it's almost like a child leaving home. I've stopped having that feeling of needing to depend on others or, you know, feel like the, the truth is in their system when really it was about building my own. Um, and it was, it was so, it's, it's been really great to look back and say, it, it was just like this slow kind of bloom that happened and is still happening. You chose though, I remember like late summer last year, 
you chose you we you had gone through the like six or seven maybe even eight months of just this slog and you can you you finished your last project and you just decided you're like that's it that's it like I know what I need to do now. I'm done. I'm done with getting myself into this position again. And I am choosing my worth. I am choosing my lifestyle. And I know that I can make this happen. Mm. I don't know if if you remember that being the timing, but I remember it quite clearly. (laughs) Yeah, that that version of me sounds much more decisive than I felt at the time. (laughs) You know, I honestly feel like I've had multiple little moments like that over the past two years. And I, and I can think back to the specific time you're referring to. And I think that was when I really, so that was when I'd say I was probably about eight or nine months into really tracking my time. So at that point I'd gathered a lot of information. And so then it's like, yes, by then I had specialized by then I was, I was charging pretty good prices. Um, And I still had felt like I was saying yes to too much. The issue wasn't in the scope or the deliverables or the work it was in the way that I was showing up and so really the past year has been a just a masterclass for me in setting expectations in communication in assertiveness and boundaries which is stuff that I just never expected to learn as a business owner but they are they are inextricably linked and so I yeah it's 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 been it's been this combination of learning the work processes and then learning the internal processes of, I don't have to say yes to this. I don't have to accommodate this. And actually I can get my stuff together enough that I can prevent a lot of this in the first place and have conversations that stop things becoming a problem to begin with. I want you to comment on this quote. Some really famous person said this quote. Oh no. I want to hear your perspective on it. The quote is, Structure creates freedom. It's true. The, the funny thing is that I had felt like, so here's the thing. There's, there's this story that creative people resist structure. I actually believe that a lot of, so I think that there are people like that. I think there's also this other camp of creative people like me who crave structure and do not understand how to make it work. And that was me. I really wanted structure and I felt like I am not capable of working in a way that feels consistent and steady because my energy, um, it ebbs and flows. I'm not going to have great ideas every day. I, I honestly can't be creative on demand for people every single day either. And so here I was with all this productivity device around me talking about daily schedules and working on a regimen. And I was like, I really want that, but I don't know how I can implement a structure that still feels like it gives me room to breathe in my life. And so I felt like the problem was me. And so, so much of the past couple of years has been me learning, actually getting to know myself. What are my rhythms? Um, How can I accommodate that? What does a kind of gentle discipline and looking out for myself and, you know, keeping my promises to myself actually look like? It doesn't look like anything that you see in productivity books or in, you know, the 5 a.m. miracle mornings. I mean, I'm not even a human before 10 a.m., to be honest. Um, it's, it's, it's a completely individual thing. And so structure creates freedom, but you get to decide the structure. You get to decide the spaciousness of that. And it's also your responsibility to test that and iterate that over actually quite a long time, which is what I, I have been doing. You totally have. And what you did is you took some tools that worked like 80% of the way for you. And then you started making them your own. And I think that that's the really important. I I have a, a bone to pick with productivity systems, right? Because we just can't work in those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this whole concept of time management, which is also a bit of a farce. So I love hearing you say that what makes us productive, so to speak, is making sure that we've built our work system so that they're entirely in line with who we are as, as people. And when you finally accept and adopt that and you put the time and effort in into testing and, and, and like really being disciplined about them, I think it can change your life. Yeah. I think that one of the things I didn't understand is that it really is a discovery process. 
that it's not about just taking someone's system and trying that and realizing that you suck and you fail and it's never going to work and why bother trying? But um, one of the things that we did together was that we, we, we kind of sat down and um, you have some tools that you use to track people's schedule and capacity. And some of those felt really good for me and some of them I, I still honestly don't really use. But there's, and it's different for everybody, but there's one, there's, there's one process that we really built together, which is like understanding the deliverables in a project. And then we customize that together around the different kinds of productivity and thinking that each part of a project would require for me. And I've continued to customize that since then. But even just initially having someone to sit down and talk about things with and understand how does a project break down and what kind of work am I doing here versus there? What kind of space and environment do I need for that? We built that together and that was probably 18 months ago by now. And, and I've continued to um, build out my own systems around that and customize that further. And so I, th I think, you know, when you find something that you pull to, that you're pulled to, like it's, it, it, it's, it's a system or a way of thinking that could work for you. I think the missing half is knowing how to keep testing it and customizing it because out of the box, I just don't believe is a thing for creative work and productivity systems. I agree with you. You know, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And I think you can take pieces, but you have to be really in tune with who you are as an individual and what it is that's really important to you. And I think we got, we got to work pretty early on defining that for you. It just mm -hmm. took a while to come to fruition and really be in practice part of that was systems but also part of that was was you believing it right believing that it was allowed I think that's one of the things that I loved so much about working with you in the early days so when I when I began working with you one-on-one -on -one, I had been running my business for maybe it might have been 18 months full-time at that point a little more maybe even two years I'm not sure and I I still felt so insecure then and there were so many people who had systems that they would walk you through where it was, it was literally, you know, here is my business system. Here is the marketing system. Here's the kind of offer you can create. This has worked great for me and my clients do this. Whereas when we got started, we spoke about the pillars of alignment and, and we spent time discussing that, that this was new information to me that I could actually choose a work style and that there would be different ways of working that were my strength and my preference. And we built everything from that. And I, I'm still so grateful that for that conversation. And I remember the day after we had it sitting on my couch and talking to my partner and saying, we're really going to figure out how I want to work. And no one had ever done that with me before. It was, that was the catalyst for so much is having someone give you permission and validate that you can absolutely work the way you want. And actually it's probably your greatest asset. I don't, I don't see any other option. You saw what happened when you tried not to. <laughs> it's the same with everybody, right? It just mm. doesn't work. You have all that you build friction in your business. You can make it work, but you'll get sick. Yeah, you'll be exhausted. Yeah. You'll be miserable to be around. It definitely won't be your best work. No, and your business will fail. Um, <laughs> I love how optimistic you are. <laughs> so, so let's go back. Let's go back a little bit to the beginning because I think that people are are curious about this. You now, you now work for people who have million dollar launches, multi-million dollar launches, who are of a certain caliber, who are the, the students that are showcased by these big celebrity teachers in the online business world. Those are your clients. So let's roll back. You know, you didn't come from a formal writing career. You didn't, you know, you didn't necessarily have a, a lot of experience as a writer, so how did you get to the level of skill that you have now? Not sure. <laughs> like, I, what did you, what did you do? I, I had always had a, an aptitude for writing and communication. And one of the things that I loved most about this specific kind of copywriting, I and mean, it's often referred to as conversion copywriting, it's, it's, it's really, it's copywriting where you have a very specific action you'd like somebody to take. Um, Traditionally, it was called direct response copywriting, and in many places it still is. But it made me um, think about the one thing that I really liked about uni, uh, which was formulating an argument and having a point of view. And great copy is all about your point of view. 
and helping people understand themselves and their problems and the potential solutions a little bit better. And to me, it just, it, it made perfect sense. And so I, I, I felt very drawn to that. I think, I, I think, I think anybody can learn the principles of copywriting, but I, I do believe that to be really great at it, it, it makes sense to be drawn to communication. It, it makes sense to be someone who, who likes structuring and formulating ideas and points of view. So I, I had that pull and that drive. And so with that kind of as a foundation, man, I, I invested the equivalent of a university degree in um, courses and programs, learning how to do this. And so um, it was a, a lot of learning, a lot of Googling, a lot of doing the work with clients. But if you want to learn it, the information is absolutely out there. You have some magic and I don't, I, I always think it's silly to just say, oh, there's, there's just something that nobody else can learn. But I think what your magic is and what makes you a little bit different is that you actually understand the psychology, the psychology of the person on the other end of that piece of copy and how they're thinking, what they're thinking about. This isn't a, an avatar exercise. I mean, this is so far beyond that. You understand people. And what I was, I was just speaking to one of our mutual clients this afternoon and cause you're working on some of her work right now. And I said, I said, I'm so excited about what Natalie's going to come up with. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because everything Natalie isn't just, doesn't just create beautiful words. Everything that Natalie does is intentional and has a justification behind it. So there is a reason behind every concept, every idea, every flow of words on your page. And you can sit down and explain that. And it comes from somewhere, right? And I think that's what makes you very different. Mm. Do you attribute your psychology degree to any of that? No. I didn't learn anything useful in university. <laughs> I don't even remember most of it. Yeah, so I I I got a master's degree in in, in counseling. I'd majored in psychology, and truthfully, most of what I learned in psychology was all the stuff that goes wrong with people, and then the biology of the brain. It was it was nothing to do with this is my beef with a lot of conventional education. It doesn't actually teach you how to be a better, more empathetic, responsible human. Um, so with that ran out of my system, I, so the answer is no, I definitely didn't learn it in uni. I think I would say that I'm the ambassador for Overthinkers Anonymous and I spend a lot of time thinking about what other people are thinking and feeling. And anyone who's a copywriter will have heard of Eugene Schwartz and he wrote a, a book back in the 50s or 60s it was called Breakthrough Advertising and he spoke about his method for moving people from not really understanding much about a product to you know being at a point where they were, where they were ready to buy and and his process was about the stages of reader awareness and how do you help someone understand their situation and diagnose that as being related to a problem and then help them grasp the solutions that they have and which one might make sense for them. And so when I began to learn about systems like that, which was just, this is really about helping an, another person go from where they are to understanding the pathways in front of them. It became much less about, you know, what's a headline formula or what should the sections of the sales page be? It's like, it doesn't matter. What's the conversation that needs to be had with someone? Where are they at? What kind of people are they? How do they normally think? It's, it's true. Like I, it's, it, it is 100% about empathy. And when you get that, you become a very curious person and you want to learn everything you can about the people that you want to serve, where their thinking is, the stories that they're telling, um, how they make decisions. Because the way that you write for an audience who is full of people like me who need space and time to make decisions, it's very different than you'd write for an audience of CEOs. You might not even write for them. You're better off probably calling them. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not sure if, if that answers it. I, it just, to me, it just makes sense intuitively that it's, it's always been about the conversation and understanding the person in front of you. 
If someone asked you, Natalie, what makes you so good at what you do? What is unique about you? Is that what it is? Your this this empathetic approach, this overthinking, anonymous. What is what is it that's you? I think that. I mean, I'm not sure if anyone listening is really into the Enneagram. I am a little bit, but I'm also kind of not. It might be because I I would be typed as a type four. So I'm, I'm the kind of person who very much likes to feel special and different and also really values things that I perceive as unique. And so I bring a lot of that into my work. And so this is just one way that I am as a copywriter and that it, 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 it leans on my personal tendencies. And so when I go into a project, I, I have this drive to think, how could this be different? What else is out there and how could this be different? What is our snowflake moment going to be here in terms of what we say differently, do differently, show up differently? You actually need that because with just the proliferation of formulas, everybody has the same sales page. They have the same webinar. So just asking the question of what's the conversation that's happening now and what do we have to add to it that is different or what different conversation can we have entirely how can that look and feel unique? I think that is key. And, and that comes before anything like outlining a sales page or even knowing what you want to say. It, it begins at the idea phase of what's missing. You have these clients that keep hiring you over and over again for their launches, for their, their big product launches. Why do they keep hiring you? Because they want to be better every year. And what, one of the things I've noticed, and this might be a survivorship bias kind of thing, but I've, I've noticed that a lot of the people who are doing really well and, and have teams supporting them are very eager to have support. Um, and so it's not just about us wanting to push the boundaries of what's possible with their launch. How can the experience be bigger and better and more exciting? In many ways, how could it be simpler and more refined as well? They, they want that. They want the result. They want this amazing experience that gets better every year for their clients, but they also just don't want to do it alone. They don't want to be writing emails. They don't want to be having to think about what needs to be different with the copy. And they also know that it's better when you're able to collaborate with someone who's thinking about this really deeply. So the, the outcome is better and they didn't have to execute it. So I think it's a mix of wanting to push the results, but they also genuinely value and want the support. So they could get that from lots of copywriters, they could hire a very, you know, junior copywriter and still get support, but they won't get that craftsmanship that I think that you bring to the work that you do. Um, I want to shift questions a little bit and talk about growth because you're a perfect example of where growth does not mean the same thing as it typically means when we talk in business conversation. So what does growth mean to you? Growth means space mm. and growth means being really proud of what I'm making. I want to look back on each year and feel like this was the year that I did some of my best work. And for me, growth has also meant that I am keeping and experiencing um, the yield of my hard work. There would be times, uh, this is what I think, I think my fourth year now of like four or five years where like, honestly, for 80% of that, I had just kept reinvesting whatever I made after I paid myself, I'd reinvest profits back into learning from other people, pushing my skills further, you know, just seeing if there was a way that I could be better. And I finally have chilled out around that. I have a different kind of confidence now where I still really value support and feedback, but it's curated. I'm also much better at tuning things out. And now I'm thinking about things like really building wealth. I have been very much on the grow my income treadmill for the first few years. And, and now I'm at a point where I'm, I'm really pleased with what I'm making. And I want to keep more of that to be able to build um, so some real assets for myself, in, you know, both in terms of um, material things, but also just spaciousness and time too. So here's, here's an unpopular opinion. I, I love, I love learning. I love, you know, all the input that I can get to keep moving forward. But I also think that at some point in time, I know you and I've had this conversation where I've said, stop 
stop investing in learning things because I actually think it was holding you back from building this confidence and this unique approach that you now have. Is that true or is that not true? I think it was a necessary part of my journey. You were, you were completely accurate in that I probably didn't need it, but it was necessary for me to develop the awareness around it because there, there really came a saturation point where I could invest in the program and I would know the stuff in the program because I had you know, bought something similar from, from enough people to know that these were the principles. And so when you begin seeing repetition of ideas between things, that's when you know, actually, I've got a pretty good grounding in this stuff. And so it might make sense for you to do something more specialized every now and then. But when I just began to see the overlap and I began seeing other people who had taken not as many programs as me saying, oh, this, this thing here was amazing and life-changing. Whereas I had already seen that somewhere else. I began to see, okay, I, I know enough right now. And it was the building up at the same time of seeing what was happening with clients and the great feedback that I was getting, the fact that I was able to raise my prices and people didn't leave and that people kept coming back. All of that together was necessary. I couldn't shortcut it. I, I really, I, I needed to make those decisions and prove it to myself, even though you knew it years before I did. So I don't, I don't disagree that the learning and the triangulation eventually needs to happen. But I think what I'm talking about is a very specific point in time where being in those programs was actually going to hold you back from building your confidence because you were surrounded by all these people who were doing all these things and wondering why haven't I done that? And I think that you needed to step away from all of that to, yeah. to finally be like, wait a second, I know what I'm doing. It's true. And it might be because I'm a delicate little flower, but I really struggle with comparison. And I have realized both in terms of it's two sides of the same coin where you can say, I know the way that I like to work. Now I can say, I also know the way that I like to be supported. And man, I spent so much money on group programs that just sent me into a spiral of overwhelm and comparison because there were other people who were similar to me or, or ahead of me or behind me that just made me overthink and feel less than. And I tried to make myself fit into those things because it's it's very popular to be in a mastermind and to be in a group program but it it um it graded at me in in a way that really held me back and probably made us have many pointless conversations where you talked me off a ledge in terms of my confidence and finally I just I stopped doing it and for some people it's great they're they're going to thrive in group environments for me I just need one or two people that I trust yep and that's okay and I think a lot of people need to hear that right because we're, we're pushed into this, this impression that we need to do all of these programs and we need to be good in groups. I'm not good in groups. I'm not like, give me my three best friends and we're, we're good, but I don't, I won't even attend group coaching calls. I won't even like go to those. That's just not me. Right. But we're okay. We're, we're allowed. You're allowed Mm -hmm. to want what you want and be a, a unique individual. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the biggest thing that's coming up for me is that I kind of, I had to experiment my way to understanding that even if people who are smarter than you, in my case, I'm talking about you, Steph, even if people can see that you need it, it's, it's okay to experiment your way towards it. Cause when you have that deep knowing that, you know, certain things are necessary versus not, and, and you have that internal compass really kind of fine tuned, that's when things get really exciting and it, it takes time. I totally agree. We are coming up on the end of our time together. I want to know, what do you wish you knew before you got started that you would love everyone else who's listening to know that's going to help them with their business? I just wanted to tell that version of me that I would be okay and that there was nothing I could not figure out and that the things that I thought were going to ruin me would just be blips. And that all of those difficult things would make me so much smarter and wiser and sharper. Um, I just wanted to tell her that you were absolutely going to be okay. And you have no idea how good you're about to get. I'm going to, I might cry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So Natalie, what's next for you? Hmm. It's actually nothing particularly flashy. It is, I want to continue honing what I do. 
um, you know, Steph, I haven't told you this yet, but um, I'm, I'm getting my brand redone or actually done for the very first time. So it, it feels much more grown up and lovely. So I'll, I'll have some visuals to kind of match who I am and help me grow into who I'm becoming as well. And um, I'm also, I, I feel like my answer to this could have been shorter, but I have exciting things to say. I feel I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, go ahead and scale my business by teaching what I know in messaging and copywriting. And there has always been this weird friction about that for me where I, it didn't feel right for me to do that. And it's really only in the past few months that I've said, I'm not going to teach what I do. I'm going to do what I do. And for other people, that decision might not make sense. They might be really excited to, to go out and, and teach what they do as, as, as their primary work. But I just, I want to keep focusing intensely on working with my clients because I think the magic is in the unique things that we do together. And it's in the thinking and the collaboration. That's where the magic is for me. It's actually not in the process or the principles. It's in the relationship. And so I'm excited to lean more into that. And um, that's what's next for me. It feels like such a homecoming to hear you say that. I love it. Yeah. Okay. We could talk for, and we probably will talk for another few hours, but I want to thank you for finally taking the time to come and chat with me today. Can you tell the listeners how they can find you? Oh, absolutely. So my home base is the missing co. So that's just CO. Uh, that's the best way to find me. I'm also missing ink co on Instagram. So you can message me there, but the best way to get in touch is through my website. Awesome. Thank you for being here and bringing your beautiful self to the show. Um, we're going to wrap up the episode. Such an awesome conversation. Make sure you go and check out Natalie and all the great things she has to offer. And thank you for tuning in to hear the story today. And finally, I'd love for you to join us on our next episode where we're going to be speaking again to Marissa Raymond, who is the Mary Poppins for stressed out women looking to get their joy in life's moments. She's a parenting coach, a genetic counselor, a yoga teacher, a mom extraordinaire, and a great friend of mine. And she is sharing her story about how her businesses and experiences have grown so much since we last spoke to her. She's got a really cool story. So thanks again for being here. And if you've enjoyed today's content, I would love for you to give us a review on whatever platform you're on. This helps us share these stories with an even bigger audience. So until next time, keep building, keep dreaming and keep being real.